to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writing, he says, Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, speaking to the Corinthian church, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but Each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain, even as I am. This is alluding to Paul's singleness right now. Paul is single. Not that he had not been married. I believe that he was married at one time. We don't know what happened to his wife, whether she passed on or whether she uh, abandoned him because of his, his faith in Christ. We don't know. Scripture's silent, so we will remain silent on that. But we do know that he was married at one time um, simply because he was a part of a council, the Sanhedrin council, that actually uh, voted to put Jesus to death on the cross. There were 70 men, and in order to be a part of that Sanhedrin council, you had to be married. That was one of the requirements, and Paul was on that group. So Um, so he says, "I, I say to the unmarried and to the widows it is good for them to remain even as I am but if they cannot exercise self-control let them marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion now to the married I command yet not I but the Lord a wife is not to depart from her husband but even if she does depart let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband and a husband is not to divorce his wife but to the rest I not the Lord Say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? I think it's comical that Paul has to actually differentiate between the husband and wife there because he knows how we are as mankind. If he he says, how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? And then he doesn't uh, reciprocate it to the husband, to the wife. People will take it and say, well, well, a wife has to do this, but a husband doesn't have to. And so Paul has to actually you know, specify that both parties are under the same rules. Father, thank you so much. As we end this day in this passage, 
on marriage and singleness. Help us, Lord, to understand your will, your purpose, your heart. Not the heart of the world, not the desires of the world, not the, not the culture or the society that we live in. I know that we have, we have being taught in churches all over the place that culture is what dictates what Scripture says. Culture will change Scripture because cultures change, ideas change, there's more tolerance or there's more acceptance and therefore, because we are more acceptant, we are more tolerant, then the word of God must change with us. When in all actuality, your word says that you are God, you change not. So your word changes not. You say you are the same yesterday, today, and even forever. You don't change. And that we may come together and collectively say, well, we're going to change uh, according to what we feel according to what we in the world feels is right. And God, you're just going to have to accept us. To think of the naivety of that statement and the the arrogance of a statement of such magnitude, saying, God, we don't care what you say. You will adhere to us. Will the thing formed say to him who formed him, Why do you make me thus? Your word says. We are not to to question your word and, and change your word. We're to adhere to your word. We're to see your word, understand your word, and then live according to your word, not changing the intent, nor the heart, nor the meaning. And so, Lord, help us in this day and age where it is so easy to water down your word, to compromise your commands. To remain strong and steadfast in the unadulterated, unchanged word of God where we might stand before you one day and say, though the world followed after fables, philosophies and thought I remain true to your word I may not have done it perfectly but Lord my heart and my hope was always to live according to your word in purity even though I fell God my heart was to live according to your word and not excuse the things in my life that the world would accept knowing that you would not accept it I pray, God, that for every single person in this room. Every single person is in the hearing of this message right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now all you singles and youth are sitting here going, oh, great, another message on marriage. Well, you know what? Most, if not all of you, will be married one day, and so you need this just as much as uh, the married folk need to hear this also. For if you think that you're going to learn about marriage once you get into it, <laughs> uh, that's not the time to learn how to, 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 to live. It's like having a, not that you know, love is a battlefield but, but, and marriage is a battlefield, but, but you know, you know, a soldier doesn't learn how to become a soldier on the field. 
They don't just give them a, you know, armament and, and, and a gun and say, okay, well, there's where the fighting is and it's very hot out there right now. Go on out there and learn and, and, and hope you don't you'd become a casualty. That's not the case. You train, you prepare, you get yourself to a place where you are the most prepared going into battle so that you can remain safe. It's the same kind of a thing in marriage. Again, not that I want to equate war and marriage as being one thing because it's not. Sometimes it can be. We've all had, if you're married, you've all had some battles with your, with your spouse. And, and you, that's not the time to learn. Oh, you learn a lot of things during those battles. But if you are in that place in your life where before you get married, you resolve in your heart, you resolve in your heart maybe now that I, I'm, we're going to play fair in these battles. We're, we're going to keep some things off limits. We're going to recognize that this is that we're going to get into some battles but at the end of the day we are going to be a couple and we're going to work through this and we're going to love each other in spite of what differences we have we're going to we're going to work at this because our love is worth fighting for our marriage is worth fighting for and so it's in that 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 even as you uh kids and singles that are in here right now cowabunga um you you can learn much from these words that I'm going to say. It's going to be tight, really. Listen. <laughs> I'm sorry. Paul's talking. As I shared last week to the singles, he says, Hey, I wish you could be like me. I would encourage you to be like me, single. As we talked about last week, if you're single, you don't really have a lot of things that are holding you back. You have the opportunity to go immediately, do whatever, you know, within reason, obviously. But you don't have another person to answer to. You only have God to answer to. When you get married, you have God and then your spouse to answer to. And then you. And, and uh, sometimes uh, the loudest voice is the spouse. But you do have to listen to your spouse. But as a single person, you don't have to. You don't have that. You don't have that. You are not, uh, uh, you know, joined and yoked together. I was going to use the word leash, but leash is not a good word. Yoked is a good word. Yoke is a good word. Leash is not a good word. Leash would mean that someone's leading and the other is on a leash. And it's only going the direction that the person holding the leash is. A yoke, on the other hand, as Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus actually asks us, he commands us, he calls us, he challenges us to place his yoke upon our neck. Now we all understand what a yoke is, right? We all understand what a yoke is. It's that, that, that piece of wood that's formed out with, with you know, a couple of holes in this, this wood that when it comes together, it makes a circle. You know, These two pieces of wood, they have half circles on them. When they come together, they're, they're bound together. And, and basically, you have two beasts of burden, you know, maybe two oxen. They have their heads in that, and they pull and close this, this yoke upon the necks of, of two oxen. And so those oxen, as they're going... As they're walking and they're treading the ground, and they're plowing the ground, they're together and in unison, they have twice as much power as, you know, uh, as one oxen would. You know, it's, 
it's, uh, you know, you put two horses in there. It would be two horsepower. That's kind of how you can look at it. You know, wow, there's 2,400 horsepower. That's 2,400 horsepower. Well, that's like 2,400 horses yoked together, moving in the same direction in unison. It kind of gives you an idea of horsepower, oxen power, marriage power. When we're yoked together equally and in unison with our spouse, we have the ability to accomplish much. The problem is, is that oftentimes in marriages, when, when two people are yoked together, one's trying to go this way and the other's trying to go that way, and what you end up with is a bunch of bruised necks and, and dragging hooves. Because one's going to be a little stronger than the other. One's going to be a little bit more headstrong, haughty, you know, resilient, more impassioned in what they're going to do. And what ends up happening is that that spouse, if they're constantly being drugged in a direction that they wouldn't necessarily want to go, they basically become beat after a while. Can you imagine one oxen tied to four other oxen? There's five oxen tied into one yoke. And one oxen is always wanting to go the opposite way. How tired will that one oxen be? The answer is very. Because as as much as he wants to pull one way or pull the other way, no matter what you want to do, or better yet, I mean, let's not take five because you don't have five in a marriage. Let's take, you know, an oxen and a pony, you know? An oxen is going to direct that. He's going to make that pony go wherever he wants to go. And that pony will end up just basically dying of, of, of exhaustion. Because the oxen is forcing his will. Now you go, why are we talking about yokes? Well, because that's what Paul is dealing with here when he starts talking about marriage in here. He talks about it here in, in, a, in a, uh, verse 4. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. The idea is, is that you have two that are being yoked together. And from that point on, the one that is in the right hole of the yoke basically has authority over the one that's in the left hole of the yoke. And the one that's in the left hole of the yoke actually has authority over the one who has the yoke, who's yoked into the right hole. And so the point is, is that if you are in agreement because you're working in unison... You're going to go far. Now, when you look at this scripture, and I alluded to it last week, there are some guys that will look at this and go, man, this would have been the most perfect verse in the Bible if he would not have added that second sentence in there. That the the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Man, what can a husband do if he has complete and total, utter domination and control over his wife? Now, you might think, as a husband, that would just be glorious. No, it wouldn't. It really wouldn't. What, you're, what you would do is that you would basically create a slave. You'd not create an equal. You'd create somebody who is living and loving you out of compulsion. They have to. And that never has been God's design, has it? It's the whole reason why God gave you an I choice in the Garden of Eden. You remember the whole situation. God tells Adam and Eve, you know, not to, you know, to eat of any tree in the garden. 
But of the one tree, the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not eat of that tree. And the next thing you know is that they're there at the tree and Eve is deceived by the serpent, but she eats the, 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 the fruit. We don't know what it is. So many, so many people think that it's apple. That's an apple. We don't know what it is. But she ate of that fruit of that tree. And then she gave to her husband who was with her, Adam who was with her. And Adam ate it also. God gave... And so when you look at that, 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 that area of Scripture there in Genesis, you look at it and you go, well, why would God in Genesis 3 allow Adam and Eve... Why would he even put a tree like that in the garden? Not only knowing that they would fail, but that he even gave them an opportunity to fail. Isn't that kind of a, an unfair God? Isn't that kind of ruthless? Isn't that kind of cruel? To do something like that. And, and yet, if you really think about it and think this thing all the way through, God's saying, I want you to serve me. I want you to love me and I want us to be in a relationship. However, I'm going to give you an out. The greatest act of love that God gave us apart from Christ was his, was his uh, giving and granting to you and I and all of humans the opportunity to choose. You can either choose to follow God or you can choose to deny Him. You can choose to, to walk and to be obedient to Him or to, be, you know, to stand still and to stand rigid and disobey God. You don't have to do what God wants you to do. That's the choice that God gave you. It's a, it's a lovely choice. It's a scary choice that he would, you know, trust, you know, you and I with such a, you know, an important aspect of life choice. How much easier would it be to follow after the Lord if there was only one choice? The point of this whole matter is, is that choice comes in to love. You either love because you choose to love, you either serve God because you choose to serve God, or you deny and walk away from God because you choose to deny and walk away from God. What Paul is talking about here is he's saying here, a husband or a wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but the husband does. A, wife, a husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Here's the thing. They're going to be yoked together, and now the decisions that they make will be made out of love. They'll be made out of love. Why? Because here's the thing. If you... I, back when you were a kid, did you ever play like a game like this? You know? Whatever you say, I'll do. I don't know. There's, there's games that will be played, you know? You know, kind of a truth or dare or kind of a thing, you know? You got to do it or you got to do what I say or there's going to be a penalty to it. And so what you got some kids that will sit there and make you do something really, really tough. All the while, they haven't figured out the game. It's the reason why only kids play this game. Because we as adults, we get older and we begin become a little bit smarter. Not the way to endear myself to the youth in here right now. But you get a little smarter and you become a little wiser and you go, wait a minute. Here's the thing. Some... You know, a youth who goes first says, oh, here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have you do, and it's going to be something horrible. You know, I'm going to have you eat a worm, and I'm going to have you swallow it with, you know, something really nasty. You know? 
Ew, and everybody's going, oh, gross, gross, gross. And then you sit there. Now it's your choice. You're going to either have to eat this worm and chase it down with whatever it is that, you know, mud water. You're going to have to, that's, that's your, that's your, you got to do it. Or there's going to be a consequence. Let's say you do eat that worm and you drink that mud. It's your turn now. <laughs> when it's your turn, you go, okay, you made me eat a worm and drink some mud. And now you come up with something not just equally as disgusting, but you come up with something more harsh. You see, the idea is, is, is if a husband has authority over the wife and the wife has authority over the husband, if the husband sits here and says, okay, honey, I'm going to make you do some things that you wouldn't normally do on your own because I have authority over your own body, over your body. You don't even own your own body. I own it now. You know, is that really what Paul's saying? Yeah, that's exactly what Paul's saying. My wife's body is mine. My body is my wife's. Here's the thing. If you have this sinister mind, you may attempt to get your wife to do things that she's very, very, very uncomfortable with. But know this. If you're going to abide by what the Word of God says, you better do what she says too. And if you hurt her, what's going to keep her from hurting you? You see, that's never, that's never the underlying heart of any of this. The underlying heart of all of this should be one of loving choice. Here's the thing. What will bless my wife? Well, what would bless my wife is this. I'm going to do this. And you're going to, maybe I'm going to go home and before she gets home from work, I'm going to clean the kitchen. I'm going to start dinner. I'm going to make her a nice dinner. Because I'm going to bless her. And I'm going to, when she comes in, I'm going to say, hey, you know what? You've had a hard day. Sit down. I, I'm, I cooked you a dinner tonight. Now, how is your wife going to respond to such a horrible act? How would she respond? You mean, you know, evil man that you would do such a thing. You would make me eat your food. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't know how God of a good of a cook you are. But, but here's the thing, that you would make me do such a thing. Now, a wife isn't going to do that. A wife is going to go, are you kidding me? You made me dinner? You told me to come in and sit my feet up? Get into you know, comfortable clothes and put my feet up? You're actually bringing me food on a TV tray? Really? How do you think your wife's going to respond to such a thing? She's going to do the same kinds of things back to you. It's the heart of loving choices. Having the interest of the other more at heart than your own interest. You remember, I've used the acronym before. Joy, you remember what the acronym joy is? What is it? Jesus, others, and then yourself, right? It's the same kind of a thing in marriage. When you look at the Lord first, and then you look at your spouse, and then you look at yourself. We talked about that last week when we're talking about the, the acronym family. Forget about me, I love you. Love is a sacrifice. Love is a sacrifice. Love is a choice. And when you in a marriage stop 
loving your spouse. Stop choosing to do things to bless them and begin to do things to bless you. Your marriage is begun to take steps away from cohesiveness that a yoke is being pulled in a direction that maybe the other spouse doesn't want to go. And no longer are you in unison. You now are trying to walk solo. The problem is, is that you're still yoked. And so there are many because they become very selfish in their life and they want to start walking a road that their spouse doesn't want to walk on. And the next thing you know, they begin to make decisions based upon self and what self wants. Selfishness. Narcissistic mind. That you love you. And it's all about you. And, and you lead that life. You're leading a life where you're pulling against the yoke and you're bruising your wife, you're bruising your husband, you're hurting your marriage. You've got to stop it and you've got to stop it now. It's got to stop. When you yoke yourself to another, it's best to walk in unison. Oh, but we've been married for such a long time. We just have kind of fallen out of love. No, no, you chose to fall. Remember, love is a choice. If you're out of love, it's because you've chosen to be out of love. It's because you forgot about the beginning relationship. It's because you forgot your first love. You forgot. You forgot what it was about. And so when you look at this, Paul's saying, I want you to... Make decisions when, when a husband has authority over the wife. Don't lord it over her, just like you don't want her to lord it over you. In loving agreement, move together, yoke together. And in unison, you're going to move in your relationship. You're going to grow in your relationship, and it will be a wonderful relationship. He says, then he goes on verse 5, he says, Don't deprive one another except with, con- with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. And I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. So Paul says here, I'm not saying that you have to abstain from marital relationships or from a marital you know, relation with your husband or your wife. I'm not saying you have to, but should you desire or should you decide that that's mutually decide to do that? And the big word is mutually. You mutually decide to hold yourself apart from one another for a season in order to pray and fast. You can do it. Paul said you don't have to do it, but if you do do it, make sure you come back together. One of the things that when I got married, the, the day I got married, my pastor, Bob Coy, ended up coming into the, into the room. We're looking at the clock. We actually got a picture of myself and my, my best man, Dave Vauder, and I, and, and, and uh, uh, Bob is in the room. We got a picture you know, of Dave and I pointing to a clock, but Bob came in the room very, very close, and, and the clock was like within just like five minutes of when the ceremony was about to begin. Bob comes in my room maybe five minutes before the, the, the ceremony began. He's the one who, who you know, was the official at my wife's and my wedding. And he came in and he sat me down and he says, are you sure that this is the one? Don, there are over 
Three billion other women upon the face of this planet. Are you sure that she is the one? And I'm like, you asked me five minutes before my marriage? (laughs) Of course she's the one, Bob. Of course she's the one. Okay. There's not another woman out there for you? No. Okay. He purposed, he made me purpose in my heart that, hey, here's the thing. I want you to go into this with eyes wide open. I want you to look that this woman that you're covenanting yourself to this day will be with you until death do you part. No matter what happens. You might be wealthy, you might be poor. You might be in sickness, you might be in health. It doesn't matter. You are latched and yoked together with this woman. Out of all of the other billion women, the few billion women upon the face of the earth, you have chosen this one and this is the one, right? Yep, it sure is. There is no looking out to try to find someone else. My decision is done. Her decision is done. And so here's, here's the thing. I yoke together with my wife. You yoke together with your spouse. If you're not married yet, you will yoke yourself together with someone one day if that is what the Lord has in your heart and what you desire in your heart to be married one day. Here's the thing. Know this. You're yoked to them for the rest of your life. And there comes a point in marriages where not all marriages do this, but there are some marriages that will employ such a tactic in marriage. And I I don't mean to get graphic or or rude or, or anything here, but I think it needs to be said here, especially in light of this area of Scripture. There are some women, there are some men even. It's more so a woman that would do it because men and women's minds are different in many ways. But oftentimes, one of the spouses will withhold relations from their spouse because they're using it for a manipulative purpose. Paul saying, yeah, don't do that. You see, the act of love between a husband and a wife is a blessing. It is a glory that God has designed. God designed it. Yes, God designed it. It's not dirty. It's pure and it's holy. That one of those partners, one of those spouses would come in and use it to their advantage in order to get what they want or to make a person do what they want them to do is actually taking God's design and throwing it into a washing machine and making it just, just, it just destroys the marriage. Do not withhold. There's other areas maybe in your marriage that you can work on, you know, and, and, and work with your spouse in order to, to you, know, uh, you know, get what it is that you're desiring or what have you. But this is one of those areas that God's saying, do not do it. Do not do it. Paul says, listen, if you do choose to, to abstain from one another, let it be of mutual consent and for prayer and fasting and only for a short season. And then you come back together again. Because here's the thing. 
if you as a spouse are withholding something from your spouse, what's happening, what Paul says, you know, so that Satan, come back together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Listen, if you are a spouse and you think, hey, I've got everything perfect, I withhold this thing and he or she will do what it is that I want him to do and then I will offer this to them kind of as a bargaining chip. Well, know this, that only lasts for a while. There's a lot of marriages that have broken up because of that, because one person thinks that they have an upper hand in the marriage and that they're manipulating things because of the relations, withholding relations in the marriage, only to find out later on that spouse that is being neglected has found someone else. That's what, that's what Satan's saying. The temptation is going to be great. Listen, if I'm not going to find, you know, uh, you know, the, the love at home, I'll find it elsewhere. And marriages break up and the one spouse says, oh, look at how evil they are. Well, wait a minute. You're the one that generated this. You're the one that did this because you are the one that was manipulating and being deceptive. Now, I'm not, you know, you know, exonerating the person who cheated on the marriage. But you hold just as much blame as he does or she does. If you use a relationship in manipulation to get your way. And that's what Paul's saying. If you're yoked together, you're going to be considering uh, each other. If you are a wife or a husband that's withholding something like that, ask yourself, do you think that he likes that I or she likes that I am withholding this? And if your answer is no, he or she hates it. Well, I would say that there's something in your life that you need to work on. There's something in your life need to, that you need to work on. I know that this might step on some people's toes, but you know what? This isn't my word. This is God's word. This is what he's saying. God designed marital relations between a husband and wife to be something that is glorious. Don't take something that God has given as a glorious thing and turn it into something that you use and manipulate. Paul says, I wish that all men were even as I myself. Verse 7, each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say that to the unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. I know some of your versions say with passion. That's actually added, but the... The point is the same. You burn with passion. I can't wait to get married. I just can't wait to get married. Listen, some people are, God's gifted them to be single. And they, they don't really care about getting married. And, and, and you know, Paul says, if, if that's you, don't seek to be married. If you're single, don't seek to be married. Let God take care of that. If inside you're, you're just, man, I can't help but think, man, I've, I've got to be married. I want to be married. I, everything in me just wants to be married. I want to be married. I want to be married. Well, maybe you don't have the gift of being, a, you know, a, basically a, a eunuch, if you will. Someone who is, is on your own and you're single. There are some people that love the single life. And that, that's not inter- they're, they're not really interested in having a marital relation. They're not necessarily interested in that. They love their single life. They love what it is. Well, here's the thing. Because you love your single life, don't adapt 
according to what the world says is okay. Hey, I'm going to remain single because that's right before God. He says I can do it. And then you go out and sleep around with people because I have a need. No. Now what you go, you, 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 you think that you found some approval from the Lord because you're single, but then you just completely and totally wash it out when you go out and you commit what is absolute an abomination before God. Don't go out and find fulfillment out there. If that, if, if you have a problem with that, well, it probably would be better for you, Paul says, to be married than for you to burn with passion. And if that's you, if you really want to be married, well, don't just immediately go, well, God's called me to be married, so I need to go out and find anybody with a pulse. That's not the case. Don't just go and find somebody to be married to because I have been shown right today really was even confirmation from what Pastor Don was saying that I, I want to be married and I should be married and so therefore I'm going to find anyone to be married to because that the first person that comes in my way is going to be the person I marry. And then you meet the first person that's single and you go, okay, wait a minute, I, okay, second person maybe, you know. You throw these little fleeces out there before the Lord. Listen, just here's the thing. If, if you believe that the Lord has called you to be married, now here it is. Just rest. Rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Go, Lord, you know my heart is to be married. Lord, bring that person into my life that would bring glory to you and would be able to come together with me and we would make a, a, a one wholeness in you. We would work together in unison. We would love one another. We would yoke ourselves together for the rest of our lives. Bring that person into my life. When did Adam get Eve? When, did, when was Eve brought to Adam? How much effort did Adam put into finding his wife? Adam went to sleep. He rested. And while Adam rested, the Lord brought Eve to him. Lord caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam. He took you know, a portion out of Adam's side and created a woman and woke Adam up and said, hey, what do you think? And Adam goes, whoa. <laughs> Is that a man? No. No, it's, it's not. What are you going to call her? Whoa, man. Uh, she's a man. No, she's not a man. But whoa, whoa. I'm going to call her whoa, man. <laughs> whoa, man. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. I mean, you, can you imagine? Gals, can you imagine what Adam looked like? Guys, can you imagine what Eve looked like? The picture of absolute perfection. There's a reason Adam called her whoa, man. Here's the thing. While Adam was sleeping, God brought to him his wife. If you're striving to get into a relationship, maybe that's not the relationship you should get into. If you're striving to maintain a boyfriend or a girlfriend because you just see yourself married with that person for the rest of your life, gang. Listen, guys. If that's you and you're single, you're a kid here and you're going, man, I, I know I'm in, in eighth grade or I'm in twelfth grade or I'm just out of high school, whatever, and I've got a boyfriend or I've got a girlfriend and you're sitting here going, that's the person I'm going to marry. And, and they don't reciprocate that. They're, you're just, you're, a, you're their boyfriend or girlfriend, but they're not thinking about marriage down the road. 
And you're forcing the issue and you're forcing this and you're, you're always the one giving. You're always the one that is holding the, you know, the, 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 the relationship together. Maybe it would be better if you just walk away from that relationship and do yourself. Have a little bit of hurt today instead of a lot of bit of hurt later. There's a lot of marriages that have, have come together because one person really, really, really wanted to be married and really pushed that person, that other person to the altar. And then they get to the altar and that other person's like, I did not want to be here in the first place. I did not want to be here. And here I am and I'm just married. And the next thing you know, a year down the road, five years down the road, within five years, you got a broken marriage and you go, how did this happen? Well, because you forced a relationship. Go to sleep. Let God bring you that spouse. Because God's going to bring you an Eve, Adam. Adam or Eve, God's going to bring you an Adam. He'll bring that person to you. And it'll be the right person. It'll be the right person. So Paul says, listen, if you can't exercise self-control, let him marry, for it's better to marry than to burn. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. And so he's basically saying, here's the thing. It's, it's, it, don't just look at a wife. It's not just about a wife departing from her husband. It's the same thing. Husband, it's reciprocated here. Paul says a wife is not to depart from her husband. But if you do, now who is Paul talking to here? Is Paul talking to the unsaved? Is Paul talking to the world here? Paul's not talking to the world. Paul's not talking to the unsaved. Paul is talking to Christians, right? He's talking to Christians. It might be that this person, he says here, Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. A wife is not to depart from her husband. So the subject matter is the wife. Right? The person that he's de- dealing with right now is the wife. Is the wife saved or is the wife not saved? The wife is saved. Is the husband saved or is the husband not saved? We don't know, and it doesn't really matter for this passage. He's saying to the wife, listen, this is the word, not I, but the Lord is saying, don't depart from your husband. If you're not saved, who cares what God has to say? But if you are saved, you better care what God has to say. And here's the thing. A wife is not to depart from her husband. Same thing to a husband. Husband, don't divorce your wife. He says, but even if she does depart, even if you, as a wife, as a Christian wife, depart from your saved or unsaved husband, even if you do depart from them, let you you just remain unmarried. Why? Either remain unmarried or be reconciled to your husband. Those are your choices. Why? Because God wants an opportunity to work. God wants an opportunity to work. He wants to work in that, that, that unbelieving husband or that unbelieving wife that has been departed from. But here's the thing. Paul's going, listen, if you are going to force the issue and you as a Christian is going to say, I am going to leave, I'm going to leave. Paul, Paul says, I, not the Lord. He says, don't go and be married to anyone else. Because you got married to the one in the three billion men that are upon the face of the earth or the three billion plus women that are upon the face of the earth. You married that one. That's your wife. And though you might say in, in, the, in the court's eyes, in, in legal eyes, 
I'm not married to that person anymore. Well, in God's eyes, according to this, you still are. And so Paul says, don't be, and he says, not I, but the Lord. Don't go and be, seek to be married to somebody else who isn't your husband. Now, I know that this is a tough thing right now because I know that there are some listening and even in this room that are divorced. Now, here's the thing. I, as a pastor, I've got to be careful because I don't want to hurt anybody. But on that same note, I don't want to water down the word of God. I have to say the hard things. If I don't say the hard things, who will say the hard things? And the point is, I don't want anybody to walk out of here with their head hung low and going, oh my goodness, what did he say? Bear with me for just a few seconds because I know that this is a very, very, very delicate topic. It says, verse 12, But to the rest, I, not the Lord, Paul says, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who doesn't believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. And so Paul is saying, here's the thing, you might be married to a spouse that's not saved. Listen, there are some people that have come together before they were saved, and they're in the church. And, and they weren't saved, they came together, and then one gets married. You might be here today, and, 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 and you got married before either one of you were saved, and here you are sitting next to each other, and now you are saved. You're both saved. Did you both come to know the Lord at the same time? Chances are probably no. You didn't get saved at the same exact time. Not that it doesn't happen, because it does happen at times, where both the husband and wife, who were formerly not believers, become believers on the same exact day. But there are other times where a husband or a wife will come to know the Lord before the unbelieving spouse. And, and yet, down the road, you look back and you go, wow, I don't even remember what it was like when we weren't saved. Because you've been saved and you're together and you're working together with the Lord and you have a Christian marriage and it's a good marriage and things are going good. And so here's the thing. Not that you haven't had some issues and some problems in your marriage, but you're married. You were unsaved. You both got saved at different times, but now you're married as a believer. Now, here's the thing. Paul's saying, don't depart from that unbelieving spouse just because they're an unbeliever. That's what Paul's addressing here. He's going, okay, you're in Corinth. One of you guys get saved. Now, that doesn't mean, hey, should I now get divorced from the person because they don't believe what I believe? Paul's going, no, absolutely not. That's not God's best for you. That's not God's best. He says, no, stick with them. If they're willing to stay with you as you're married and you are serving the Lord and they're willing to live with you, Work it out. Continue to do it. Continue to live. For, he says in verse 14, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Before I go on to the next thing, that sounds kind of confusing right there, doesn't it? Are you sitting here saying to me, Pastor Don, right now, that if, if I'm a believer and my spouse isn't a believer, that I actually, because I'm saved, makes that person saved? Absolutely not. That's not what that says. That's not what that means. That is not what that means. The word sanctified literally means set apart. It literally means set apart. What does set apart mean? Here's the thing. If you are saved and you have an unsaved spouse, here's what it is. That unsaved spouse is sanctified. Why is set apart? Why? Because you're a believer. 
You are a believer in that family unit. You are the influence of God upon this person's life. If you depart from that, if you divorce that, you are removing the influence of God upon that person's life. You go, well, I don't want that position. Well, then you don't want the Great Commission. You don't want God's Great Commission. It's to go into the world and preach the gospel. Here's the thing. The point is, you and I are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We are the property and possession of one, one only, and it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's who we live for. That's who, that's who our life is here for. And so you might be married to an unbelieving spouse. If you can, and they're willing to stay with you, stay in that relationship because that person may be right on the brink. You don't know. That, might, that person might take 10 more years to get saved. But if you're the influence on their life. And what I mean by influence is not by beating them over the head with the Bible every time you come home. Don't you see that the Bible says that you're supposed... Not, listen, that's not preaching good news. That becomes irritable, you know, nagging news. Let the Lord do the work on the person's life. Love them. When opportunity comes, share with them the love that God has given to you and that you want to give to them and that they can have. They might rebuff you and what have you, but here's the thing. Don't, don't, don't force feed. And don't beat them with the Bible. Don't say this is what the Bible says you're supposed to do. Because you know what? Listen, all these instructions, who did I say that they were written to? They were written to believers. They weren't written to unbelievers. These instructions are written to believers. So to impose biblical instructions upon somebody who doesn't even believe in God only causes dissension in a relationship. And it forces the other person away. But as you live your life for the Lord, and that person is willing to stay with you, then who knows but that the Lord isn't going to do. Let's let's look and see what Paul says. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. Why? Because you, wife, are the spiritual influence in that home. And if you were to separate yourself, that person, that husband would not have that spiritual influence upon their life of who God is on a day-by-day basis. And, by, and, and sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children, also the, the, the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. So here's the thing. Husband, if you're a believer and your wife doesn't believe, it's the same thing. You're the spiritual influence. You're the spiritual emphasis upon the home and she is with you on a day-by-day basis seeing the love of christ in you and so the point is there's a much greater opportunity for them to come to know christ because they see it lived out on a day-by-day basis under the same roof when you wake up in the morning with bed head and bad breath they see you you are a christian into in front of them and they see you and there comes a point where they go you know what I, you know, Kevin was just teaching, I think, uh, I can't remember when it was that he was teaching about Alan Redpath. It was at Alan Redpath that you were talking about um, that, that came to know the Lord and then his wife came to know the Lord later. Who, well, who was it that you were talking about? I can't remember. You were, I think Kevin was, <laughs> I think it was Kevin. Um, he, was, he was talking about how a husband came to know the Lord, but he didn't beat his wife up over it. But here's the thing, he spent time with the wife. This is recalling anything and he'd spend time with the wife but then when she'd go to bed he'd he'd go down into study huh oh tony evans dad that's right oh we we read it and that's where the connection was with with kevin tony evans his father came to know the lord 
Tony Evans is a pastor out in Dallas, Texas, and, and got a neat ministry out there. And he's just, a, he, I, I love the guy as a teacher. Uh, he's a great illustrator. Here's the thing. I don't agree with every single thing he says, but here's the thing. I, I really, really, you know, enjoy his teaching, and I think that he loves Jesus with everything. But his dad got saved. And he, he, his dad was pretty much a, a, a very much of an unbeliever before he got saved. Then he got saved. And he'd spend time with his wife, not beating her up with the Bible, but, but he'd spend time, and when opportunity arose, he'd share a little bit about what the Lord, but she would rebuff it, and she'd mock him and what have you. And so he just kept, kind of kept it to himself. And he would spend time with her and love her and love the kids. And, and then when she'd go to bed, he'd go sneak down into the study, and he'd open up his Bible, and he'd spend time with Christ. And he did that for many, many months. And there came a time where his wife came down the stairs with tears in her eyes and she came in and she goes, I can't do this anymore. And he says, what? You know, she goes, I want what you have. I want what you have. I want this God that you know. I want this Lord. I want this love. I want want to be what you are. And they knelt down and he led his wife to the Lord. That's this in action, you see. That's this in action. So, unbelieving husband sanctified by the wife, unbelieving wife sanctified by the husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. It's a tough passage right there. That's a tough statement right there. What does that mean? The children will be holy. Are all children going to go to heaven before the age of accountability? Well, I don't know. I don't know. This text right here would almost seem to indicate that no, that's not the case. No, that's not the case. Um, If you are brought up in an unbelieving home, uh, what is to say that that child is not going to be an unbeliever also? I'm not saying that that is the way that it is, but this passage right here, it says that your children are holy not sanctified. Sanctified is set apart so that God can work on them. Holy is that they are going to heaven. Holy means you're going to heaven. It's done. Don't worry about it. Um, so the, the point is, if you are in a home and you are a believing spouse, you're unbelieving, you have a, 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 a spouse who's an unbeliever and you've got kids in the home prior to the age of accountability where they can make a choice for Christ on their own. Here's the thing. By you staying in the home, what Paul's saying, those kids are saved. Those kids are saved. The inference is if you depart from that and the kids go with the unbelieving spouse, that's not the case. That's not the case. Now, I'm not here to sit here and badger over semantics and what have you. I just, when I see things that are a little concerning to me in Scripture, I just go, you know what, I want to, let's just look at it. When the plain sense makes perfect sense, what do we do? We make no other sense, lest we make nonsense. Here's what I see it saying. Kids are holy if the one believing spouse stays in the relationship. The inference is, if you don't stay in the relationship, all bets are off. Now, here's the thing. I know one thing. If I get to heaven and I see that there are every child before the age of accountability, whoever died is in heaven. Am I going to go, oh, you know what, God, you messed up here. No, I'm going to just look at God's mercy and I'm going to go holy and true and just are your judgments, O Lord. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to be dogmatic on that fact. But the point is, 
Paul is making a distinction here, and there's a reason he's making a distinction here. And so I think that if he's making a distinction, we need to pay attention to it. He's so, and, and so here's the thing. Let me finish with this, because I know that I've got some very, very, very untied shoes here. There's some knots that, that need to be unloosened here because I think that there might be some that are, are, are struggling maybe with some of these things. We know according to what the Word of God says, there is a way and a reason for divorce. What is the reason? What does the Bible have, has given us the opportunity for a divorce? What is the reason? Adultery. Adultery. You know, there, that doesn't mean that the believer goes and commits adultery and then goes to the pastor and says, hey, there's been an unfaithfulness in our marriage. I want to divorce that person. No, you got that backwards. You committed a sin in order to get out of this marriage. You've just, what you're doing is you're just you know, doubly sinning in order to get out of your marriage. That's just wrong. That's wrong. You're abusing what the Word of God says. But there is a, an acceptance. God has given... A, a uh, uh, an approval for people to an opportunity for people to get divorced should there be marital infidelity there in the relationship. Now, mind you, it's not it's not mandatory. It just it gives you an opportunity. In fact, you know, Jesus says, "Well, it was because of your hardness of your hearts that I even allowed God even allowed divorce." But that He has allowed it, I, you know. If someone is cheated on, I'm not going to be the one that sits there and beats down on them and says, you've got to stay in this relationship. That's a decision between you and the Lord. I'm going to try to counsel you to stay in that relationship. I'm going to try to keep you to go and stay in that relationship. But here's the thing. I don't know what God's going to do in that individual's heart. But that's not me. I can't tell you what you need to do. Here's what it is. You've got, to, you've got an all right. You've got, to, you've got an approval from the Lord. You've got a, a green light from God to say you can do it it's not mandatory that you do it, but you can do it. But he addresses this point here in the very final things that we're going to talk about here today in verse 15. He says, but if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. If a brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. He says, so here's the thing. You're in a relationship. Your spouse abandons you, just abandons you, up and goes and leaves and just is gone. Whether it be through marital infidelity, whether it be just through abandonment, I'm out of here. I'm going to go and live my life elsewhere. You want to come? Fine. I don't even really care if you come or not. You can go. But is that person departs from you and just leaves. Listen, an unbeliever or a believer is not bound under such circumstances from abandonment. Listen, if an unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. I, I believe that there is an abandonment issue there too. I'm not one who advocates divorce. I don't like divorce. I think God hates divorce. I hate divorce. I don't like divorce. One thing that my wife and I 
committed to when we got married was that's one word. Maybe every other word is you know fair game in our relationship. But there's one word that is not going to be fair game in our relationship. It's going to be divorce. We will not talk about divorce. We won't talk about it. So how hard our problem might be or how hard our disagreement or argument or whatever it might be, we have, there is not going to ever be brought the word divorce. We're not going to do it. We're going to, we, listen, it's going to be a, maybe a difficult road to get to that point. But here's the one thing. When all is said and done, you're stuck with me and I'm stuck with you for the rest of our life. So let's make this work. And sometimes it's come down to that. Where we just have butted heads and butted heads and butted heads. Usually it's me butting her head. Because I've got a thick head. And I, I, I bring most of this upon myself. You see Lynette only in one light. I see her as an angel. (laughs) Here's the thing. You might butt heads, but at the end of the day, I'm going to love you, and you're going to love me, and you're going to like it. We're going to love each other. I don't know how. We might be at odds, but here's the thing. We're going to love each other at the end of the day. We're going to be together. We're not going to depart. And... Thankfully, in 21 years down the road, we still have that commitment to one another. Here's the thing. Divorce is not mandatory. Divorce isn't something that I propagate. It's not something that I encourage. But divorce is sometimes, it happens. It happens. When someone abandons someone, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. When someone, you know, Paul says, listen, let him depart. Let her depart. You're not under bondage in those cases. God's called us to peace. But then he goes back in and he says, but don't forget. Don't just use this as an opportunity to get divorced from that guy or from that gal that has caused you so much heartache. He says, no. How do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? The heart of the whole matter is, don't you want them to be saved anyways? I mean, isn't that ultimately what Paul's trying to get to? You want them saved. And if you can do it, stick it out and be with them, maybe the Lord's going to work on their heart. Give God an opportunity. Because all the while that you're in that relationship, there's a sanctification for your spouse in that relationship because God has set them apart to see Christ in action in your life. Now make sure that you're being Christ in action. That's the whole point of this whole thing. The heart of this is marriage should be a good thing. God designed it. God orchestrated it. God created it. Sex is a good thing with your wife. It's a holy thing. It's a pure thing. Anything outside of the confines of a marital relationship is an abomination before the Lord. Sticking together is what God desires. Being yoked together and moving in the same direction is what God desires. Being fair with one another. You remember the the, the picture you might have heard. You know, a, a parent came up with this one time, you know, for her two young kids. One piece of cake, two kids. How do you how do you divide it? What the parent does is gives the kid, one of the kids, a knife. 
and says, you cut that cake. And when you cut that cake, the other child gets to choose which side he takes. Guess who's going to be very, very careful that there's not one morsel more on one side or the other? That's called fairness. The idea is the same thing in marriage. Paul's saying, I want you to be married and I want you to work in unison together. I want you to be fair with one another. I want you to be loving one to another. I want you to be yoked together, moving in the same direction, not apart from one another. Remember that. If you're unsaved, you're still yoked together with that unbeliever. Maybe the Lord is going to use you. He's sanctified. She's sanctified by you being in her life. You being in his life. God's given you an opportunity to be Christ to them on a day-by-day basis. You don't even have to go look for someone to witness to. you got them in your house every single day. Now be Christ to them. For who knows, oh wife, who knows, oh husband, whether you're going to be used by God for that person to become saved. So, hopefully this has not muddied any waters. I hope that I haven't, I know that I've stepped on toes, but I hope that even in my stepping on of toes today, guys, that my heart, heart has been seen and hopefully God's heart has been seen. This is not an exhaust. You can't exhaust this whole subject matter in an hour. You can't do that. But here's the thing. I've done my best to do as much as I can with the passage that we have and in the amount of time that we have. So here's the thing. I know it's not an exhaustive list. Do you have any problems? Do you have any questions? Please come up and talk to me. The point is, the heart of the matter is, God has, he's the one who orchestrated and designed marriage. We are not the ones that dictate to God how marriage is. God has shown us in his word what marriage is to do. And single guys and gals, listen, these are lessons that you need to learn prior to even getting into marriage. You want a happy marriage? You read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You adhere to be that believing spouse. And don't you ever, don't you ever, as a believer, as a single believer in this room, ever get into a relationship with somebody who does not have the same belief as you. You stay away from unbelievers. We're not calling for missionary dating. If I just, if I just, if I'm with that person, I can lead them to the Lord. No, you won't. Very rarely does that ever happen. That unbelieving spouse has the world at their disposal. They're, they're going to drag you down. You're not going to pull them up. So stay away from those relationships. I can tell you this, that's not the relationship that God has brought to you, regardless of all the little butterfly flutters that you have in your heart. Oh, but it would be so perfect. It's not because they're not a believer. Stay away from it. All right? Hey, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. And I know, Lord, that there's been some tough things that were said here today. God, I pray that nobody walks out of here with a heavy, burdened heart and mind and back. Because, Lord, that's not what was intended here. It's not what you ever intend. Um, Lord, you say that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. And come to you, all who are weary and heavy laden. You'll give them rest. I know that there's been heartache in a room this size with people. Anybody who's listening to this, I know that there's heartache in relationship at times. Marriages, 
and dissolved marriages, divorced marriages. I pray, God, that you can renew, you can restore. You can bring back, Lord, a sparkle in an eye, a spring in a step of a believer. If failure has happened, if there was a problem, and there's just no getting going back, is that person destined for the rest of their life to be under the, the weight and the burden of a stigma? Lord, I believe that you set us free. And when you say, as you said in John chapter 8, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That means that there's no more chains on us. There's no more chains weighting us down. I pray for marriages in this room. I pray for future marriages in this room. I pray for those who have are in the midst of a broken marriage or have already endured a broken marriage. I pray, God, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds to the reality of your word and understand that we are no longer our own and it's not about us, it's about you. We trust you with our life. We trust you with our emotions. We trust you with the longings of our heart. We trust you with the wounds of our heart. We trust you with the loss that we've experienced. Maybe we trust you with the betrayal that has happened to us. We trust you with our life, Lord. These things have happened to us. These things have gone on in our lives. There's nothing we can do about what has happened in the past. But today, your word says that your mercies are new every day. And being that the case, I will believe in that and I will walk in that and I will walk strongly and proudly in Christ this day. Forgive those who need forgiveness. Strengthen those who need strengthened. Restore those marriages that need to be restored. Reconcile those, those uh, broken marriages where they need to be reconciled. Give it. holy and pure direction to those who have not yet even entered into marriage. May they consider these words today. May we all consider these words today. And abide by them. For in so doing, Lord, we're being obedient to you, we're loving you, and we're living for you. Which is really our only reasonable service. In Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.